The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, um, in 1993, I moved down to the area. I was living in an apartment at uh, 14 in Dequinder, and uh, I was at kind of a rough place in my life, and I thought, you know, I wonder, is there a church down here? And uh, that's when I found faith. I, I was coming to church on a regular basis, and I happened to miss a couple weeks because I fell into a, a slump and, you know, kind of hit, hit rock bottom. And someone from the church actually called me to find out where I was. And all I could think was, all these people in the church, and they noticed that I wasn't there. I mean, I, I, I spent, I spent a lot of time over the years. Um, you know, I was, I, I was sick for a long time, and there were things that I was going through in my life that just didn't. Just didn't think were worthy of being loved by, you know, not only God, but the people, the people here at Faith. You know, uh, my wife and I were married in 1997, and after that, um, in uh, 1999, we were blessed with our first child, and. It wasn't until he got it wasn't until he got older and started going, uh, you know, having more interactions with the people in the in the Sunday school program that we realized that it's not so bad to talk to people. Well, when my daughter got up into the middle school, they, the RJ had asked me, you know, hey, do you, do you want to come on this trip with us? And again, I was a little scared because I didn't know I didn't know how to flip through scripture and find relevant text. You know, if somebody asked me a question or had a problem, you know, I'm not I I wasn't that guy who could just refer to the Bible and say, you know what, God says this, and it just made me nervous. But you know what? Then I was told there are other things you can do. And so while I was while I was on this uh, trip with the middle school at the sand dunes, I got to talking to people. You know, as we were talking, I realized that we weren't so different. We had a lot more in common. I mean, I've always felt I've always felt odd. You know, being this big burly guy with you know tons of facial hair and and piercings and things. And then I looked around and. There's a lot of people here like me. And one of the jokes I have with one of the young guys, with a lot of the young guys is, with all this gray hair, I said, you know what, be careful, because one day you're going to be like me. And the thing that's kind of cool is that they're saying, they're saying, you know what, if I end up like you, that's going to be OK. So the crazy thing is, is after over 20 years, I, I still come in and sit in the same seat in the church. But now when I leave, I come out to the lobby and I talk to people and I have friends here at the church. And all that, all that because one person on Sunday, every Sunday morning said hello, made me feel welcome and never stopped believing in me 
and giving me the strength to believe in myself and strengthen my beliefs in God. This place has changed me and the people here have changed me. And for that, I feel loved, I feel worthy, and I have a stronger bond with God than I could ever hope for. We all have a, a story, right? And that story, it shapes us and it affects us. And a lot of times we think our story is really different than everybody else's story, and yet you hear someone like Jim talk and just share a little bit of who he is, and you find out that he's kind of like me, and I kind of feel like him. And uh, I, I'm really excited that we get to begin this new series together. Uh, I, I've really been looking forward to this, because this series is really going to help us as a congregation, as a, as a church, to help define and explain what it is that, that God wants to use us to do in this place, and how it is that he's going to actually use us to, to impact the lives of people that are not only here right now in, in this congregation, but also the lives of people that, that, that we haven't even met yet. And, and the series really picks up where the message of Christmas left off, because when Jesus came into our world, he came to invite us into a, a relationship with God that is completely unlike any other relationship that any of us will ever have in the course of our lives. See, normally, normally our relationships, they kind of function like this. They kind of function like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll treat you the way that you treat me, and, and I'll treat you the way that you deserve to be treated, and, and I'm going to treat you the, the way that culture says I should treat you. But Jesus has invited us into a relationship completely different than that. And yet the hard truth is, is that for many of us, that's that's just kind of what we expect out of our relationships, isn't it? I mean, that's just that's kind of what we're accustomed to. I mean, a after all, if, you're, if you work with a group of people, if you're in a work group or if you're in a, a group at school or in college and, and, and you know, you're working on a project together and you're not pulling your weight or you take somebody else's you know, sales lead or you take credit for what it is that, that they do on a project and, and they get angry at you for that, and then you go home and you tell your husband or your wife, you know, what's happened, that this person's angry at you. I mean, they're not, no one's surprised by this, are they? I mean, that, that's just what we expect to have happen, right? Because that's what we expect out of our relationships. It's, it's the rule of the playground. It's, the, it's the, the rule of the office. It's the rule that says, you know, that, that everyone gets exactly what it is that they deserve. And yet what Jesus has invited us into is a relationship that is completely different than that. It's a relationship that's actually characterized by, by unconditional love, by unconditional acceptance, by unconditional inclusion. It's a relationship that, that is characterized by unconditional grace and, and mercy. It's a relationship that, that is not based on our behavior but instead actually hinges on this whole idea of, of belonging. And as a church, see, as a church, we want that to be the kind of relationship that not only each and every one of us experiences individually, but we want that to be the kind of a relationship that we experience corporately as well, and especially the kind of relationship that we actually invite other people to experience in their relationship with God as well. Take out your Bibles, open them up to the book of Galatians chapter 4. Now, 
the book of Galatians is a, a book written by the Apostle Paul, written about 20 to 25 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And what we're going to look at today is really a very familiar passage, especially around this time of the year, especially around Christmas time. It's, it's a passage of Scripture that we've heard. It's a passage of Scripture maybe that we, we actually read on a Christmas card that we, we received. But yet, in this very, very familiar passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul tells us something about this unique relationship that Jesus has invited us into, something that he wants us to, to know and to understand. Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, says this. But when the time had fully come, meaning that God was actually anxiously awaiting this particular moment in the history of humanity, when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, and born under law. See, see, what Paul's saying to us is that each of us, every single one of us, whether we realized it or not, whether we knew it or not, we were actually born accountable to the law. Nobody necessarily explained this to us, Paul says, but, but you were born accountable to the law. That's the law that's actually written in the Old Testament, the law that is, is revealed to us in the New Testament, and even the, the law of God which is written on our hearts which is that thing that's inside all of us that says, you know, I really should stop doing this, shouldn't I? I mean, I, I really should start doing this. Or, you know what, men shouldn't do this, or, or, or women shouldn't behave that way. You know, that, that's not fair. That, that's not right. It's that thing that's inside all of us, regardless of our upbringing, regardless of our age or our background. It's that universal sense of should or should not that's inside each and every one of us. Now, maybe you've never asked yourself the question, where did that actually come from? Or, or maybe you've always just assumed that that was simply a result of, of how it is that you were raised or the fact that we all, you know, grown up here together in, in America. But see, the truth is, and, and what Scripture reveals, and what even life over time has a way of showing us, is that every single one of us, we all have this universal sense of should and, and should not on our hearts, and, and that is the law of God which is written in our hearts. And because of that, we know. I mean, we, we, we know that there is something that is just not right with us. I mean, we do. Now, we cover it up, we defend it, right? We make excuses for it, we put makeup on it, we try to rein it in from time to time, so we, we, we learn how to play nice, we learn how to be polite over time. But at the end of the day, each and every one of us knows that there is something that is not quite right with us, and then we try to figure out what it is that we're going to do about it. And we think to ourselves, we think, you know, if I can ever or if I can you know, get ever, or if I can achieve this, or if I can acquire that, if I can get enough people to actually tell me that I am good enough, maybe I'll really feel like I'm good enough. And that need that every single one of us has, that need to feel wanted, that need to feel accepted, that, that need to feel valued, that is so incredibly powerful that it will drive us to do and try all kinds of things. And we think to ourselves things like, you know, if I could ever get his approval, or if I could ever get her approval, or if I could just acquire this, or I could just achieve that, then, 
then maybe I would actually begin to feel okay. And the truth of life that many of us have experienced is that eventually, over time, some of those things, they, they, actually, do, do, they, they do actually work, at least for a little while. But ultimately, even if we do get or achieve or acquire whatever it is that we think will, will, will somehow you know, cure that sense of, you know, there's something that's just not quite right with me, ultimately, the problem isn't that we haven't met the right person. Ultimately, the problem isn't that we haven't achieved enough or acquired enough. Ultimately, the Apostle Paul tells us is that the problem, the problem is that when you and I were born, every single one of us, we were born into a relationship with our Creator that was broken. That there was a separation between Creator and creation. And ultimately, because of that break, there is, and I don't even know how to fully put this into words, because there is an insecurity there's a loneliness. There's an emptiness that just kind of goes right to the very core of our souls, isn't there? There's an insecurity that no thing, that, that no body, that no acquisition, that no achievement can ever quite fully restore or heal. But the Apostle Paul says, but, but this is huge. But when the time had fully come, he says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to, to redeem those under law. That means that, that through Jesus, God actually did something for every single person who was born under law. So that's you, that, that's me, that, that's, uh, that's religious people, that's non-religious people. That at the right time, that God actually sent His Son into this world to redeem. Now that word redeem, that's kind of an interesting word. It means to win back or, or to buy back, right? I mean, redeem is kind of this, it's a transactional word, isn't it? It's a financial term. It means to, to attach something that's been separated, to, to, to rejoin something that's apart. It means to buy back or, or, or win back. At the right time, God sent His Son into this world to redeem or to, to, to buy back those who were under the law. But see, this picture of redeem, I mean, it's not, this is really transactional, isn't it? I mean, it's not, it's financial. It's not, not, it's not really inspirational. It's not a very emotional word. And see, what the Apostle Paul wants each of us to understand about this section of Scripture is maybe something that we didn't necessarily understand before. See, this, this whole idea of, of redeem, he says, that was really just a means to an end. See, what God wanted, what He wanted to accomplish was actually much, much larger than that. Because God sent His Son into the world to, to redeem in order that, the Apostle Paul says, that we might receive. See, the Apostle Paul tells us that when Jesus came into this world, his goal was not to simply get you into heaven someday. 
His goal was not simply to say, okay, now you know, somehow the, the scales have been balanced between you and God. That was not the goal. The goal was actually much, much bigger than that, Paul tells us. See, what God did for us, for you, through Jesus, when he came into this world, is that, that he, he made it possible for you to be. And then the Apostle Paul very intentionally chooses the next word. And we know he was deliberate about the word that he chose to use to finish that sentence because he only uses that word three times in the entire New Testament. It's used once here, it's used once in the book of Romans, and it's used one other time in the book of Ephesians. But yet, for some reason, which I, I don't fully understand personally, the, the translators of the, the New International Version of the Bible, they didn't translate that word literally. And, and, and actually, this is another reason why, if you haven't downloaded the Faith Troy app yet, you really need to do that. Because if you open this section of the Bible and you look at this verse in our app and you look at it in the New American Standard Bible, which is a much more literal translation, you will actually see the word that the Apostle Paul chose to explain what it is that he wants us to understand. That we might receive adoption. Now, when we hear the word adoption, we think babies. But, but in Paul's day, when people heard the word adoption, that's not at all what they thought. Because in the first century, nobody adopted babies. In fact, it wasn't until Christianity began to spread through the Roman Empire that, that anyone even considered adopting children. And, and even then, it was only the Christians who would do something so crazy as to adopt somebody else's infant. But when the Apostle Paul wrote these words, it was very, very common for people to actually adopt adults. And so when people read this, when the people who were reading Paul's letter, when they, when they read this, this text, what they heard was this. That the God who knows you as an adult, the God who knows your sin, the God who knows your past, the God who knows that all those places throughout the course of your life where you have never, never met up, where you've never been consistent, all those places where you've failed, all those places where, where you have not done what it was that you were supposed to do, the God who knows all of that, who knows all of that about you, this very same God, He is the one who sent His Son into this world, and He has made it possible for you, with all your sin, with all your shortcomings, with all your talent, with all your achievements, with all the things that make you, you, that God has made it possible for you to actually become His child. It's not only that you're forgiven. It's not simply that you get to go to heaven someday. See, Paul wants us to understand it is far far more relational than any of that. Paul wants us to understand that you individually have actually become a child of your Creator. That, that God has chosen you individually and He has brought you in. That He has actually made a place for you to belong. He, 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 he is telling you that you are actually wanted 
by the God of the universe. And Paul says that the, that creator-creation relationship that was broken, that in Jesus, that relationship has actually been restored. And then he goes on to tell us this in verse 6. He says, so because you are sons, because you are daughters, because you are God's children, he says, God has sent the spirit of, of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now, now this little word Abba, that strange sounding word, that's actually, this is really remarkable that this is actually in here because, because this word Abba is actually an Aramaic word. It's not Greek. It's not Hebrew. In fact, Jewish people, when this was written, they didn't even speak Hebrew. Jesus and, and, and Jewish people, this part of history, they spoke this word Aramaic. And when the Apostle Paul's writing this, and, and he's, he's putting this on paper, what he realizes is that there, there is no equivalent for this word in the Greek language. That this word is so relational, it's so intimate, that, that, that there is no equivalent. In fact, the only equivalent in Greek that Paul had to use was the word father. And he's thinking to himself, you know, that word father, it's far too formal for what it is that I, I want these people to understand. He thought, I need a word that actually expresses what it is that has taken place, the, the essence of the kind of a relationship that actually exists between two people when one of them has been brought in and then made a part of someone else's family. What it is that happens between two people when one of them finds out that they have been accepted by their heavenly Father through Jesus. And so Paul says to himself, I'm just going to use the word that Jesus himself used to explain this. This little Aramaic word, Abba. And this word is so relational and so intimate. In fact, I don't know about you, but this actually kind of makes me uncomfortable to say this because, because literally this word in Aramaic, it means dad or, or daddy. And I don't really think I can say that about God. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I can call him that. And the Apostle Paul says that, that feeling, that feeling, that's actually my point. That, that's exactly what I want you to understand because there hasn't just been some transaction that's occurred and, and you get this, you know, I'm forgiven stamp on your forehead. It's not simply that you get to move from this group to that group. It's not simply that you get to go to heaven someday. It's far more personal than that, Paul says. You have been adopted into the family of God, and God is now your dad, not just father, but dad. What if... What if that simple idea, right there, what if that idea and that understanding and, and those emotions, what if that actually moved from those screens into your head, personally, and then also into your own heart? 
I mean, what would that actually mean for you personally? See, as long as Christianity is just, okay, I get it, I'm forgiven. As long as Christianity is just a category for you or for us, then it's so at arm's length, isn't it? I mean, it's just so kind of a thing out there. What the Apostle Paul wants us to understand is that what if God really did send His Son into this world not only to invite us, but not only to redeem us, but not stop there, but to also adopt us? And what if, so that, so that He could adopt us, so that, so that we could actually, He could actually call you son, so that He could actually call you daughter, And what if you actually felt close enough to him that you could refer to him in the most intimate way possible, that you could actually call him dad? And what if it's true that the best way, the only way, that God has to express his heart towards you is to call you son or daughter? See, when, when people actually experience this, when they actually get this as simple as it is, when people actually experience the sense of belonging, not, not only to a group of, of other people, but to their Heavenly Father, when people actually hear Jesus speaking to them, when, when they hear him challenging them to believe something about himself or themselves that, that they never understood before, that they never thought of before, when, when people actually experience change happening in their life or in the life of someone that they love and, and they care about as Jesus actually makes them into, as they become, his followers, as Jesus actually creates Christ-likeness inside of them. This is what makes the church. When the church is actually being the church, this is what makes the church absolutely fantastic because men and women come together and some have been following Jesus for a long time and others for just a short time. Some know a whole lot and some know very little. Some have great faith and others have, they have just tiny, tiny little bits of faith. And yet everyone, everyone to the very best of their ability is moving in the same direction, trying to create a place where people can discover that they actually belong. A place where they are accepted by their Heavenly Father. A place where they're challenged to believe. A place where they can actually become followers and disciples of Jesus. Because I think the truth is every single one of us, we all know, right? We all know the the power of an earthly father's approval, don't we? 
But do we really understand the power of our Heavenly Father's approval? I mean, do you actually understand that that is something that you personally have? That you already have that? You have your Heavenly Father's approval? See, the reason this is so important for us to understand is because God knows what is so easy for every single one of us to forget, which is the, the fact that the, the way, the, the best way, the, the greatest way to actually influence another person is to actually accept them. That, that, that acceptance and love are the, the two most powerful emotions that, are, that any one of us, that we will ever experience in the course of our lives. And because our Heavenly Father, because He truly does love you, because He truly does care about you, because He really does actually want what is best for you, He wants to be in a relationship with you so that He can influence you. And he also knows that the, the most powerful thing that shapes us, the, the thing that, that shapes our soul more than anything else is love and acceptance, right? Love and rejection, acceptance and rejection, those are the two most powerful emotions that, that we will ever experience in the course of our entire lives. And yet, love wins out over rejection every single time. See, here's, here's what's so incredibly amazing about Jesus. In fact, it's one of the things I, I love about reading the Gospels because you, you just you see this over and over and over again. In fact, I'm going I'm to talk about this more in a couple of weeks because you need, you need some context to really understand this. But understand, understand this. See, Jesus did not come into our world to simply be right. I mean, Jesus' reason, that was not his purpose for coming here. Jesus did not come into our world to, to simply try to make a point. Now, now he could have. I mean, he, he really could have. That would have been incredibly easy for Jesus to, to do so. I mean, think about it. He could have spent his entire three and a half years simply talking to people and telling people, well, you know what, I'm sorry, but you're just wrong. I mean, you are. You're just wrong. I mean, you're wrong, and, and you're wrong, and, and you're really wrong. In fact, you're, you're wronger than, than he is, and, and you're, you're, you're wronger than she is. You're just wrong. I mean, wrong motive, wrong heart, wrong attitude. You're just wrong. You're all just wrong. Every single one of you, wrong, 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 wrong. Now follow me. I mean, nobody would have ever even listened to Jesus, much less followed him, if his purpose for coming into our world was simply to be right about everything. Jesus was holiness, right? He was purity. I mean, Jesus was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He knew every single man. He knew every single woman's heart. He could have just lined people up over the course of three and a half years and just told them, you're wrong. Here's why. Let me condemn you. Let me convict you. You're all just plain wrong. And yet, as you read through the Gospels, what you find is that Jesus rarely if ever, 
did that. He lived with wrong people. He lived with sinners. And yet his reason and his purpose for being here was not simply to expose our wrongness and our sin. Instead, he was here to redeem and adopt and to let us know that we were valued, that we are treasured, that we're actually wanted by our Heavenly Father in a word to let us know that we we belong. And so he says to you, and he says to me, now I want to actually use you. I want to use you to do that in the lives of other people. Other people that you know. Other people in our world. And see, when that actually becomes the lens through which we see ourselves as a church, then the relationships that we have with other people, the relationships that we have with, with people who know Jesus, but especially the, the relationships that we have with people who, who do not know Jesus the way that we know Jesus, that changes the way that we see every single relationship that we have. Doesn't it? Because the truth is this. See, for most people, for most people, having a relationship with Jesus, that actually begins by having a relationship with one of us, doesn't it? And the tension here is clear because that means for many of us, we actually need to think differently about the relationships that we have, doesn't it? I mean, the tension for many of us is that we need to see our role. We need to see the influence that God has given us in the lives of other people differently, perhaps than what we're actually used to. Because again, and here's the point, while you and I, while we were still sinners, when the time had fully come, God sent His Son into this world to do whatever it was that was necessary to win our hearts. Not build a case. Not make a point. But to redeem to accept and to die so that we might belong. He did that for every single one of us and now He calls us to do that very same thing in the lives of someone else. Romans chapter 15 verse 7 tells us this. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now see, I don't know about you, but I, I was pretty unacceptable when Jesus accepted me. Do you, do you know why accepting someone when they're unacceptable, do you know why that brings praise to God? You don't praise someone for doing something that's easy, do you? You don't praise someone for doing something that is normal. You praise someone for doing something that's difficult. You praise someone for doing something that, that is above and beyond what's expected of them. And see, Scripture says it was a really big deal when Jesus accepted you and Jesus accepted me the way that we were because the way that we were was not acceptable. 
And it's a really big deal when we as individuals, and especially when we as the body of Christ, when we accept other people, when they are not acceptable. See, culture says, when you get your act together, then I will consider bringing you back into my life and bringing you back into a relationship with, with me. But, but that is not... That's not what God says. God says, I sent my son to die for you when you were still very, very unacceptable. And now I actually want to use you to do and to share and to show that very same thing in the lives of other people. Not only those who are acceptable, but also those people who are very, very, very unacceptable. Because that is exactly what I did for you. See, what if? What if that becomes the lens through which we see ourselves as a church? What if that becomes the way that we actually interact with people? both inside and outside of this place. Now, I'm not saying at all that this is going to be easy. In fact, getting this right, this is quite possibly the most difficult thing that any one individual, or or especially a church, could ever even attempt to do. In fact, many times it's risky. And so maybe the question is why? Why? Why would we even bother? What if, as a church, what if we actually began to see ourselves as a family? And when somebody came into this place, it was as if we were welcoming them into our own home personally. And we laughed with them. We celebrated with them. We sang together, we ate together, we cried together. And what if when people were becoming a part of the family, what it is that they experienced was so irresistible and so different than anything else they'd ever experienced in the course of their lives that they actually wanted other people that they loved and cared about to experience that very same thing that they did? I mean, what would you call that? See, I'd call it church. Next week, we're going to talk about the idea of belief. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Dad, it sounds so strange to speak to you that way. And yet scripture is really clear. That's how you see us. That's how you think about us. And that's how you want us to actually think and to feel and to respond to you. And dad, I know that in my own life, you've loved me at times when I've been unlovable. You've accepted me in the midst of a lot of unacceptable things and you've surrounded me 
and you continue to surround me with people who remind me that you, you love me and you care about me, even when I really don't feel lovable or worthy. And someone introduced me to you a long time ago. Someone told me about you. Someone brought me to a place where I could actually experience what it means to belong. And I know you did the same thing in the lives of so many people in this place. And as a church, we want to be able to do that. We, we know how that has impacted us personally. We want to do that in the life of someone else that, that is disconnected from you, that doesn't know you, that doesn't understand you, someone who has not been told the truth about who you really are. And, and we, we want you to use us that way. And we don't know what that means. We don't know how that works. So lead us. Show us. And most of all, thank you for accepting us, for loving us, when what we deserved was rejection. Give us the wisdom to know and to understand what it is that you would have us do with what it is that you have told us and shown us today in this moment. All this I pray in Jesus' name.